Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. In verse 2 of James chapter 3 says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect or mature man, and able also to bridle the whole body. In verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Last week we talked about the tongue. We talked about other tongues. We talked about the natural tongue. And we made mention of the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is for holiness. And the power of the Spirit is for service. And the key is development. Because we could be developed in holiness and not have power. We could be developed in power and not have holiness. So the key is development. God would have us to be developed in power and in holiness and combine the two so that we can walk holy before the Lord and full of power. Well, if the key is development, we said the key to development is the tongue. That's a golden nugget. The key to development is the tongue. Notice verse 2. If any man offend not in word... And the Amplified says, never says the wrong thing. The same is a mature man. And able also to bridle, now notice this, the whole body. That's talking about his sensual desires, his outward man. We've tried to suppress the lusts of the flesh, but we're not told to do that. The Bible says crucify the lusts of our flesh. And we crucify them with the tongue. We put him to death with a tongue. He said, how, how do you do that? I don't understand that. The tongue, the Bible says, death and life are in the power of the... I speak death to my sensual desires. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You see, that's a choice that we make. We say, no, I will not steal. No, I will not lust. No, I will not covet. You say, but my sensual desires, they want to do these things. Well, they may want to, they may desire to, but the Apostle Paul says we've got to buffet our body. We've got to keep it under daily because daily it wants to stick up its head and do its thing. Well, how do we mortify the deeds of the body or the flesh? By denying, by depriving with the tongue. The person who is able to yield this one member under God is able also to yield all of his other bodily members unto God because the tongue has been strategically located or placed by God in the body so that it will control all other members of the body. He's able to control the whole body if he controls his tongue. 
Now, you think that's an easy statement? To control the tongue? James goes on to say it's not an easy matter. That's why God has given us a new tongue to speak in. Speaking with other tongues helps us to control even the natural tongue. If we'll, you know, understand that. I want to leave aside tonight the other side. Leave it aside. Other tongues. I want to talk about the natural tongue this evening. And I want to talk about holiness. I also want to talk about how the tongue will affect our entire body, our system, our sensual desires. Here we see, just reiterating a few points here, the control of the tongue, controlling the tongue, enables us to bridle the whole body. In verse 6, we find out that the tongue is a world of iniquity. It's a fire, a world of sin. We could probably talk about that all night, that the tongue is a world of sin. But brother, I thought that sin was stealing and robbing and cheating and adultery and fornication. They are. But the tongue is a world of iniquity. There are at least three known sins of which each believer is guilty of with the tongue. Briefly, I said last week, evil speaking, which is talking about the faults and the failures of others who are not present at the time of discussion. And not talking constructively, but talking destructively. Criticizing judging, etc., etc. The Bible says, put evil speaking far away from you. Remove it from your life. Evil speaking is a sin. We need to control our tongue in that area. Vain speaking, talking about what I have done. I led three people to the Lord. I did this. I put that pew in the church. I did this in the church. I did that to so-and-so. Always talking about ourselves. This is what I can do. Vain speaking. Sin of the tongue. We need to control that. It's so easy to want to draw attention unto ourselves. But you see, love doesn't do that. Then there's foolish speaking. I just want to say this about foolish speaking. The Bible says it's not convenient. Not that it's necessarily sin. But it's not convenient. And why does the Bible say that? It says it's not convenient because if you're never serious with your words, if you take every matter lightly and joke about everything that you do in life, when it comes to have, having to be very serious about what God has said, you're going to take His word lightly. You see, God does not joke around about the things that He said about redemption. God does not fool around with the things He did in planning out our salvation. And to Him, these are serious matters. And the words that Jesus spoke, those words are greater than any word of an angel. They're more powerful, more sure than the words of angels when they came to speak unto men. And if we get caught up too much in foolish jesting and foolish talking then I'll tell you what, we won't really believe in our own words. And Jesus said the key to a strong, vigorous faith life is that we believe that what we say will come to pass. We will have whatsoever we say it. So if we're not serious about what we say and we make jokes out of everything that we do, you're never going to be serious with God. You're never going to be serious with your words or with His word. 
and your faith level is going to be low. We have to take our words serious. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. Sowing discord among brethren, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, is an abomination in the sight of God. Reading that scripture should get everybody's attention. It should make every sincere child of God, every serious student of God's Word take notice and say, of all the things that God hates, these six things, and the seventh one is an abomination. Think about that. God hates these six things. That's bad enough. But the seventh one is an abomination unto Him. And that is sowing discord among the brethren. Wasn't adultery? Wasn't murder? Stealing? Sowing discord. How do you sow? The sower sows the seed by speaking words. Sowing discord, disharmony among the brethren is an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because it brings division and it stops the work of the Lord. It divides people. That's what division is. Division is dual vision. Two visions. Sowing discord among the brethren causes division. And God says, it's an abomination in my sight. That's what happened. You go all the way back to Moses. The time of Korah. You go all the way back and see how they try to enter in. And we're going to do it this way. Moses, who do you think you are? You're called of God. You're anointed of God. Look, we could touch God. We're going to do it this way. We want to do it our way. And before long, you find out what happens. God doesn't like it. It's abomination unto Him. And of course, people are judged because of it. Like I said, we can go on all night talking about that. I don't want to do that. But the tongue is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. Now notice this. So is the tongue among our members. The tongue among our members, it says, contaminates, poisons, what? The whole body. It defiles the whole body. That is something I believe that we have to research and understand. Scientists don't even understand this. There are those, a few of those in the medical science profession that are getting to understand the fact that what you say about your body will come to pass. They're learning these truths. But we've had them here for us for 2,000 years. We have to develop integrity in God's Word. He says the tongue controls every member of the body. I have to believe that. I don't necessarily have to explain it, although we can explain it, and I'm going to do that tonight through the Word, or even fully understand it. you know what faith really is? Trust the Lord with your heart. Don't lean under your own understanding. If God said it, it's so, whether or not we ever figure it out up here. How do you figure out God was, God is, God always will be? How do you figure out three in one? How do you figure out I and you, you and me, and there and us? We're in God. How do you figure out your body is the temple of the living God? As God has said, I'm dwelling in you. I'm living in you. I'm walking in you right now. Figure that one out. We are the portable tabernacles, temples of, of the Lord upon the earth. His mobile home. He has actually made His dwelling place in us in the person of the Holy Ghost. Figure it out. I'm not trying to. I just say it's so because God's Word says it's so. I agree with God's Word. We are His dwelling place in this earth. So I set my words to agree with what God's Word says, and He moves on my behalf and makes it a reality. Notice it, it defiles, it contaminates, it poisons the entire system, the body. 
It sets on fire the course of nature. It is set on fire of hell. Well, we don't want that, do we? Look at another scripture in James, since you're right by there, James chapter 1. We talked about this and then we'll go on from there. Controlling our tongue enables us to control the whole body. Not controlling our tongue, yielding our tongue in a wrong way, saying the wrong things, sets ablaze the fire of nature, which is set on fire of hell. One spark among kindling can cause a whole forest, acres, to be destroyed. And that's what he's saying about that one little member of the tongue. With the wrong kind of fire can set ablaze within our system the course of nature that's set on fire of hell. And we will not be able to control the body because it will be full of contamination, full of poison, deadly poison, that will destroy, defile the members of our body. In, in James 1.26, not controlling the tongue, if any man among you seemeth to be, seems to be religious and brattles not his tongue, but deceiveth, underline these statements, deceiveth his own heart, because we want to bring this out. He seems to be religious, but he doesn't brattle his tongue. He deceives his own heart. His religion is vain, empty, of no value, futile, worthless. And we said last week, I would hate to think that all the things that we do in service for God would be considered worthless, of no value, all because of this one little member called the tongue. You went out and did a great work for the Lord and then you came and boasted about it. All your reward is gone. It's wiped out. You gave and gave and gave of your finances unto the work of God and you were proud of it and you told people what you did. Jesus said, do it in secret so that your Father in secret will reward you openly. But you talked about it. You got your reward already and your service was in vain. All because of this. It boasteth great things. So if we are serious with God, we have to recognize the fact that even though it's not an easy thing to do, it is a requirement of God to be spiritually mature, to walk holy before God, this member must be yielded unto God first and foremost. If it is not, we will not control other members of the body. Some of you that want to go on your diets, lose some weight, you've been bound up by saying, I can't do it. I just can't seem to lose weight. No matter what diet I go on, I just cannot seem to lose weight. Can't do it. And I don't understand why. Because you say you can't. Get your mind renewed to the Word of God. And find out that the Bible says you can do all things through Christ. And make that your confession of faith. And yield your tongue, that member, unto God. Agree with what the Word says. And then your other body members will begin to respond to what you're saying. And again... I think we get to see because we think it's going to happen overnight. My brother and sister, this is self-control. It doesn't happen overnight. Not saying that it can't, it can, but it doesn't happen usually overnight. And even when it does happen, you still have to maintain self-control and continue to speak God's Word even to maintain your body weight after you've lost the weight you want to lose. 
Once again, if any man does not control or battle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. I want you to get a hold of that. He deceives his own heart. This man's religion is in vain, empty void. Go on back to, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 7. And let's see what Jesus said. He picked up on this and he said some things about this. Of course, he's James' brother, half-brother. And in verse 6, in, in verse 6 of chapter 7, Jesus defines what hypocrisy really is. Sometimes I hear people talking about those Christian hypocrites. And they define a hypocrite as somebody who goes to church, and then after church, he goes into a bar or something like that. And they say that's hypocrisy. Jesus defines what hypocrisy really is. I hope you brought your hard-toed shoes. Did you wear your boots? God healed his toes. In case you didn't bring your still-toed shoes. He answered and said unto them, Well hath Isaiah or Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written. Oh my. I love when you use it as written to the devil. But now he uses it, it is written to define a hypocrite. And he says, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's the definition of a hypocrite. That's what true hypocrisy is. Somebody who makes his boast of God here, but not here. What does that show us? There's a confession of the lips. There's a confession of the heart. The two must harmonize together in agreement with the Word of God for us to be effective in faith and in prayer. And of course, in controlling body members. Then he goes over to say in verse 13, this is what they did because of it. They made the word of God of none effect through their traditions which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. When a person honors God with his lips and his heart is far from God, he makes the word of God of none effect, empty, void, without power. Now, God's Word is full of power. But when that Word does not have our hearts full of agreement, there's no power in it. It will be without power. It will be void, ineffective. Jesus goes on to say, And when He had called all the people unto Him, He said unto them, Hearken unto Me, every one of you, and understand. This, there is nothing. Understand. Understand, He says. I want you to understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into Him can, and there's that Word again, defile contaminate, poison him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. The things that comes out of a man are released through his words. They are words. And the words that we speak have power. And there's only two sources of power. Death and life are in the power of the what? Tongue. When our sensual desires 
gain the ascendancy over us, we'll be saying some things that we ought not to be saying. And before long, you'll be doing things, we'll be doing things we ought not to be doing, and we're wondering why we're doing them. When in reality, we set that course in motion by the words of our mouth, by speaking them out. Thinking thoughts, meditating on thoughts, they gain entrance into the heart, defiling or contaminating or poisoning, bringing death within. And then, of course, the fruit of our lips, bringing that out. And then before you know it, you're doing the thing that you should not be doing. Let's find that scripture in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 20 and 21. Our lives are either going to be filled with life or filled with death. And that is going to be determined by our understanding of the tongue and of the words that we speak. In verse 20, a man's belly, and when the Bible talks about a man's belly, he's, it's talking about his spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And it's talking about speaking words of life or speaking words of death, Whatever we choose to do, if we choose to speak words of life, those words will fill us up and satisfy us within, from within. And we'll get filled up with those words, and then we're going to begin to eat the fruit of those words. Remember, fruit has to go through a process before it actually comes forth. It's not automatic. You don't plant something and then there's fruit the next day. There's a sowing time. There's a growing time. And then there's going to be a reaping time. There's a time of sowing words into our hearts. Those words growing and developing within our spirits. And then bringing forth fruit. But now notice. Death and life both are in the power of the tongue. And that's why James said that if we speak the wrong things the wrong way, then those words will go in. We won't be satisfied with good or with life. We'll be contaminated, poisoned, defiled within. And they that love it shall eat the fruit of death. Satan programs people to think of death. To be afraid, to be fearful, to be discouraged, to be dismayed. So that the more they think about it, they think about failure and weakness and lack of success and all that. They think about it, they talk it, it gets inside their system. Their system is poisoned, they're programmed for death. And before you know it, before long, everything they get involved in seems to be a failure. It never works right, things don't go right. And little do they know that their heart have been deceived by their own lips. They've been poisoned from within by their own words. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
And the words he spoke about himself yesterday, he's eating the fruit of those words today. We'll never rise above the level of our confession of God's word. What we confess, we become. What we say is what's going to happen unto us. I know that that's a law that many don't understand, but nevertheless, my brother and sister, it's so. God's Word says it's so. Now, notice something. Go on back to James chapter 3 while I bring this out. A man is a spiritual being. He's an emotion. He has his emotions. His emotions... He has a physical body, so he's really an emotional or a spiritual, emotional, and physical being. And his spiritual condition is carried through the emotions and manifests itself in the physical. That's what James was talking about when he said about bridling a horse. The spirit of man is the rider on top of that horse, the horse is the body. The reins, that's the emotions, those are the emotions. The intellect, the sensibility, the will, the bit that's placed within the mouth is the tongue, to control the tongue. The spiritual man is carried, his condition is carried through the soulless realm, the emotional realm, and the spirit through the emotions tugs on the tongue and controls the body. And that's what he's talking about. If his condition spiritually, is that of life. He's programmed the life. Then through his emotions, that life will be made manifest in the tongue to control the whole body so that the body is not set ablaze on the fire of hell, but the life of God that is within is carried out throughout through the soul by the tongue into the body to control that body. So it obeys or comes under the control of the spirit. But if that spirit of that person is contaminated or poisoned with death, programmed to speak death, then whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Then that, whatever it is on the inside, it could be anxiety, it could be worry, it could be fear, it could be discouragement, whatever it is, will be made manifest through the emotions You'll speak about it constantly, continuously. It'll affect your physical body, your condition on the outside. It'll set ablaze the course of death. Now let's notice here in James chapter 3 and look at verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men. Let's define bless and curse. To bless means to speak well of. To curse means to speak evil of. With the same tongue we bless God, we curse men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, evil speaking and good speaking. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Now notice, doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man, wisdom, among you, endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter, 
Notice bitter waters. Notice the fountain. Bitter, envying, strife in your hearts. Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And when it speaks of its own sensual desires, those are earthly, sensual, devilish desires. That person is operating from a fountain of bitterness. He's operating from a contaminated fountain of water. And that fountain is causing death to be made manifest from the spirit through the soul and by the tongue into the body, defiling the entire body, poisoning, contaminating, defiling the entire makeup of, of that person. And it will manifest itself eventually in a physical problem and in an emotional problem. Now, he goes on to say, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now, notice he's talking about pure. Not contaminated. Pure. The other one's full of poison. This one's pure. The wisdom which is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without what? Say it louder. Without what? What is hypocrisy? To honor God with your mouth while your heart is far from Him. What did James say you did? You don't bridle the tongue. You deceive your own heart. Then the tongue wants to go and try to draw from the right fountain and it doesn't because the heart's already been deceived. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to speak. So it's not just words that we learn about, but it's that which we actually sow into our system. It's that which we put within us. A man's belly shall be satisfied or filled by the continual speaking of God's Word into his spirit so that it will bear fruit. Of what? Of life. The wisdom of God. That which is pure. Verse 18, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So notice he's talking about now the two different kinds of fountains. The fountain of life, the fountain of death. The fountain of blessing, the fountain of cursing. The fountain of sweet waters, the fountain of bitter waters. Now notice chapter 15 of, of Proverbs again, going back there. I know we're doing a lot of word search, but that's okay. I think we need to do more of it. The fountain of death causes contamination of the spiritual waters of life that are within. And those contaminated waters are carried through the soulless emotional realm manifesting itself into the physical realm. It ends up in arthritis, rheumatism, headaches, migraines, oppression, depression, Sadness, discouragement, dismay. We wonder where all these things come from, not recognizing the source. On the other hand, the fountain of life is carried through the emotional system into the physical body the same way. If we continue to fill up our spirit with good by the Word of God being implanted into our hearts continuously. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue, a wholesome tongue, a tongue that's full of medicine. A tongue that's been taught the word. A wholesome tongue. 
Notice James says that a man cannot control the tongue. But if he gets filled with the Holy Ghost and starts to speak with other tongues, that's his first step. His first step. I mean, first step towards really controlling that tongue by yielding that member unto God. You know, speaking with other tongues in your prayer life will take away 95% of our praying for ourselves. Praying selfish prayers. So that'll help us, won't it? A medicine tongue, a tongue that's been healed, is a what? It's a source, it's a tree of life. When man was kicked out of that garden, he had no access to the tree of life. But my brother and sister, we live in a day, in an age where we can have a wholesome tongue. Because we have a cleansed heart. And a wholesome tongue is a tree of life to the believer. It's a means whereby to draw from that tree of life. We have access to the tree of life. Where Adam lost it. But Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So we have access to the tree of life. Because of what Jesus has done within us. What has He done? He's cleansed the system. Causing sweet spiritual waters to be within us. Hasn't He? So that we can draw from His fountain of life. His tree of life. Teach our tongue knowledge correctly. Use it as a wise man in due with knowledge. Speaking the wisdom of God. The love of God. Not full of envy, strife, bitter, bitterness. Not evil speaking, not vain speaking, not foolish speaking, but speaking God's words. Agreeing with His statements. It becomes a tree of life, but perverseness therein, where? In the tongue. Notice this latter part of this statement. Is a breach, a tearing apart, a breaking apart, a wound in the spirit. Perverseness in the tongue wounds the spirit. Perverseness in the tongue defiles the spirit contaminates the spirit, wounds the spirit. And we said what happens when that happens. Notice chapter 14 and verse 26 and 27. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and His children shall have a place of refuge. Notice the expression fear of the Lord. Underline it if you have not done so in your Bible. Verse 27, the fear of the Lord, it's repeated once again, is a fountain of life. What is the fear of the Lord? Fountain of life. What did James say about the fountain? It could be sweet, it could be bitter, it could have life, it could have death, it could have blessing, it could have cursing. Well, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. And the fear of the Lord provides a place of refuge, safety, and protection for the believer. Because it's a fountain of life, what, what does it do? To help us depart from the snares of death. Okay? Now, if we could just define the fear of the Lord, I think we'd be okay. Well, we're going to do that. Go on back to Psalm 34 with me. And verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth, trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, 
hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, teach us, brother. What man is he that desireth life, and loveth many days, that he may see good? How many of you desire life? How many desire longevity? How many of you desire to see good? Well, he's teaching us what the fear of the Lord is. Remember, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, isn't it? Next verse. Keep thy tongue from evil is the fear of the Lord. And thy lips from speaking guile, deceit. Now notice again. Come unto me, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. You want long life, good days, many days and good days? Keep thy tongue from evil. That's the fear of the Lord. And thy lips from speaking guile, deceit. What did James 1.26 say? Remember I said we're going to get back to that? James 1.26 said this. If any man seemeth to be religious and rattleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. What do you say here? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking deceit. In other words, you're deceiving your own heart by speaking God. We're speaking, we're, we're speaking gal which deceives our own heart. The Bible says of Jesus there was no gal in him. If we fear the Lord, we'll keep our tongues from evil speaking, vain speaking, foolish speaking. If we fear the Lord, the Bible says eschew evil. But that's what he's talking about. We think of evil, we think in terms of Killing, stealing, cheating, lying, robbing. My brother and my sister, as I said, God says it's an abomination to sow discord. The tongue is the world of iniquity. That's the world of sin. That's the evil. There's evil work where there's envy, division, and strife. Every evil work. Well, where's that evil work coming from? Right here. Strife, envy, division. Where's, where's it coming from? Right here. Every evil work. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, and pursue it. Well, what does he mean, depart from evil? He just said in verse 13, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking gal. Depart from evil. That's the evil that he's talking about. Evil speaking. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it, be a peacemaker. Pursue being a peacemaker. Pursue. Good. Why? Well, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut them off. Now, notice this. With the same mouth bless we God, with the same mouth curse we men. We're either cursing men or blessing God. And He's saying, cut that other part out. Because if you want my ears open unto you, you are the righteous... And you want my ears open unto you when you're in trouble in your time of need. The more you realize and recognize 
that I want you to depart from evil by keeping this quiet, from evil speaking, vain speaking, foolish speaking, then the more you recognize that that same mouth is the mouth of the words that are coming out that I'm going to hear. And if you want me to hear what you're saying, don't be caught up in this other thing. Remember he said, your sins have separated me between me and you, and I will not hear. Whose mouth is speaking? When you're in need, who cries out? Somebody else cry out for you? No, you cry out. You want God to hear your voice when you cry out? Then he's saying, I want you to use this correctly. A wise man will teach knowledge to his lips and add learning to it. So he speaks the right thing. And that's what he's saying here. You've got to depart. If you fear God, you've got to depart from evil by keeping your tongue and your lips from speaking gal and evil. So that when you cry, the Lord will hear you and deliver you out of all your troubles. Now let's notice another scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Or chapter 7, verse 1. If one doesn't battle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. He poisons his heart. The system begins to function through his emotions. Through his emotions, through his tongue, it enters into his body. His body is contaminated also. But I want you to notice here in chapter 7 of verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, We've got many promises. Having therefore these, precious, these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. What does the heart need if it's been contaminated or defiled? Poison. It needs cleansing, doesn't it? Let us cleanse ourselves. Now notice, from all filthiness. Poison. Contamination. Filthiness. Guile. Deceit. Let us cleanse ourselves. Who's going to cleanse who? Cleanse ourselves. Why is he saying cleanse ourselves? Let's go on and find out. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. What's the fruit of the Spirit given for? Holiness. What does the tongue do? It either contaminates or cleanses. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What's the fear of God? Keeping your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking God. What does it do? Cleanses us. You know what? Your spirit would never be cleansed from sin without this. Every time you sin, you're affected by that sin. Your system is poisoned. My system is poisoned. There's only one way of t to have cleansing. Father, I confess. Right here. My sin. I identify myself with my sin. I make no excuse. I ask you, in Jesus' name, by His blood, to cleanse me. Put the right words in the mouth and you'll get cleansing. That's what He's saying. From all sin and unrighteousness. So He says, the ability to be cleansed is within us. We don't have to cry out unto heaven to send Christ down. We don't have to call down to the deep to raise Him up. But what saith that the word is nigh thee? It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of pray, faith that we preach. That if thou shalt confess, and then after you've asked him, I confess, I'm cleansed. 
I fear God. I'm perfected holiness. How? No evil speaking, no vain speaking, no foolish speaking. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God by keeping my tongue from evil and my lips from speaking God. Deceit. Now let's notice something. When we talk about deceit, we're not only talking about, you know, not talking about other people and criticizing and judging other people, but it's also talking about don't deceive your own heart. What do you mean, deceive my own heart? You can speak contrary to what God's Word says and deceive your own heart. You can say, God wants me sick. You can say, well, God doesn't want to help me in this area. God doesn't want to do that. And the more we talk like that, the more we disagree with the Word of God, we are deceiving our own heart. Our words are carriers of life or of death, and they will either sweeten, cleanse, or make bitter, or poison the system from within. And that's why James says, if you can't control your tongue, your religion is going to be in vain. You will deceive your own heart, the very fountain of life within you. And instead of drawing from life, you're going to draw from death and poison. Now, what does this result in? It results in a lot of terrible things. My brother and sister, going back to Genesis chapter 4, and we'll show you. Here we have the fruit of death. I don't know if you've ever, ever been attacked by oppression, regression, oppression, or depression. And from a, maybe from a psychological standpoint, you know, they think that it's all a, a, a product of the mind. But I don't believe that. I believe that's why there are so many that are believers that are attempting to receive permanent help but they're not going to the right source. They're trying to do it in the mind, and we're not to be working things out in the mind. We're supposed to be working things out in the spirit. And you'll find out that what we're saying here about the operation of spirit, soul, and body will cause a person to regress, be oppressed, and finally end up in depression and get to a place that they have a disorder of the mind and in a lot of cases, we'll end up in a mental institution because of what we're saying here tonight. Because of drawing from a wrong fountain. A poisonous fountain. And when we think of poison, we think of something that's so terrible. But my brother and my sister, the devil, we know Jesus said that his tactics are wise. He's not going to make something look so terrible to you that you're not, you know, you're not going to want to take it. He's going to play on our emotions. He's going to play on our own physical makeup, especially in our fallen state, to make us speak wrong words. He's going to make you look in a mirror and see yourself with a poor self-image, a low self-esteem. He's going to tell you that you're not qualified to do the things that you're doing for the Lord. He's going to tell you that you're not equipped, you're not smart enough, you're not intelligent enough, you don't have the right equipment to do what you, you think you're supposed to be doing for the Lord. He's going to tell you other people do not like you and God likes them better and that's why their prayers are answered and your prayers are not answered. He's going to speak all these things out. Why? Because He knows how this system works. If He could get you to think that way, speak that way, believe that way, 
then he's got a hold of you. He's poisoned your system. He's going to get you to a place of either oppression, regression first, oppression, then depression, and hold you in fearful bondage until he, and his ultimate aim is, of course, to get a hold of your spirit or just destroy your mind. Let's first of all, let's look at these scriptures here in chapter 4 of Genesis in verse 3, in a process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, his countenance fell. Right, right there, depression. His countenance fell. Why did his countenance fall? Why was he depressed? Let's first of all define depression according to Webster. It's a psychotic disorder marked by sadness, inactivity, difficulty in thinking, and concentration, and feelings of dejection. Here it was caused by rejection. His, his sacrifice was rejected by God. According to what the Bible teaches us, the cause of depression or the definition of depression would be a broken, wounded, breached, or poisoned or contaminated spirit. Yes, it results in that condition of the mind. But it's because of a broken spirit. See, the psychologist cannot go beyond the mind and find the human spirit. So they believe that it originates within the spirit. I'm sorry, within the soul of man, within the mind of man. But as believers, we understand what God's Word says. We understand that man is a spirit being. He lives in the realm of the spirit, and there are spiritual diseases, forces out there, enemies out there, that want to contaminate our spirit so that they can manifest themselves in our emotions and control our bodies. Here we see Cain was rejected in, in a sense. God had no respect for his offering. His countenance fell. He had a broken, wounded spirit. Perverseness therein is the breach in the spirit, in the spirit of the man. And because he had a fallen countenance, because he was depressed, because he had a wounded spirit, it caused him to think wrong. Well, God doesn't really love me. Abel, he loves you. He accepted your sacrifice. He accepted your offering. I worked with my hands. I did this all by myself, and I did all that I could do, and I gave him all the best that I had. He respected you, but he didn't respect me. A brother so-and-so got his prayers answered, but I certainly didn't. He began to talk like that. He began to think like that. It goes on, and what does it say? And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wrong? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Or be lifted up? If thou doest well, sin lieth at the door. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire. And thou shalt rule over him. The choice is yours, he's saying. I didn't reject you. I had no respect for your sacrifice because the sacrifice that you gave me was not one I could accept. It was not a blood sacrifice. And I have to have a blood sacrifice. The Bible says that Abel's offering was in faith. Faith is believing something that you, you can't do. You can't do it. Someone else does it for you. The blood of that animal was accepted before God because you don't have anything to do with it. 
You can't work with your hands and please God. And that's why he wouldn't accept this other sacrifice. And so, Cain, he becomes, he regresses. He's oppressed. He's weighed down by all these thoughts. The pressure that's put upon his thinking faculties. He's got a wounded spirit. He's hurt on the inside. He's talking this way. What happens to him? Cain talked with his brother. Verse 8, Abel, his brother, it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel and his, his brother and slew him. Now, why did all this happen? This very reason. He was contaminated from within. Poisoned within his system. Things began to go wrong. Let's not forget this. There are three things we have to protect our hearts from. Because if we don't, my brother and sister, we're out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to speak. And that number one, you have to protect yourself from self. Low self-esteem or self-rejection. You know the average person doesn't like himself. Come on. And you get before God and you say, look at me. I know I'm no good. I know that I haven't done right. I know I haven't lived like you want me to live and so on and so forth. And most believers walk around with their head like this. Why? They're not protecting themselves from a low self-esteem. They're rejecting themselves. It's an inferiority complex that they have. The devil uses it to cause thoughts to come to your way and imaginations and strongholds to be developed to make you think that you're not worthy of God, to make you think that anything you do, no matter how good you do it, it doesn't matter. You're never good enough to please God. Especially if you don't get a prayer answer. I mean, look out. That's it. You're no good. You're wiped out. Forget it. You can't please God. Number two, rejection of others. And even though they made, Abel didn't reject him, I'm sure he didn't reject him. But Cain let the devil put it in him to see nothing but rejection. God did it for you, but he didn't do it for me. He didn't accept mine. And probably no matter what he could say, Cain didn't want to hear it. He already made it up in his mind. That's, that was working in his system already. God accepted yours, but didn't accept my offering. So he got envious. So he was jealous. Jealousy and envy is the poison of our system. He got bitter. He talked about it. Poisoned his whole system. You ready for this last one? Now take it in its proper light and understanding. We have to protect ourselves from doing things that would cause us to be resisted by God. God resists the what? That's that other fountain. But giveth grace to the humble. Do you know what Cain did not do? God wasn't rejecting him personally. He said, if you do well, you'll be, it'll be accepted. God has His own ways. We can't go to Him our way. Jesus is the way to the Father. The blood is the way to the Father. Not our own flesh. We'll never glory in His presence. 
His countenance was fallen. He wanted to do it his way. He didn't want to do it God's way. He had his own sensual desires. He had his own way to do what he wanted to do. Resistance from God. Produced once again within him that very same thing. A poor self-image, a low self-esteem. I'm no good. Set this poison inside of his system. He had a bad image of himself. Those are three areas that we face in life. Look at another scripture that will help us understand what to do about this in, in Mark 12. Do I have another minute? That's about all. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.